just when you thought there was no hope for baby boomers. It's the Rational Boomer Podcast. Logic, common sense, compassion. Yeah, who knew? Now, here's Mike. We are back on the Rational Boomer Podcast. Hopefully your day is going well. What is it, Sunday? Yeah, it's Sunday. Not much going on. I hope you enjoyed the conversations I had with TJ yesterday, Kevin, and of course Ed. It's just going to be me today, so it may not be as exciting as those previous podcasts, but we'll do the best we can. Had a good day yesterday. It's pretty cool. Saturday. Got to go to my grandson's final fall soccer league game he got a couple of goals so that rocked and my granddaughter my two and a half year old granddaughter was there and that made it very lively by the way I know there's people out there that say there's nothing worse than people talking about their grandkids and that might be so but you know what it's my fucking show so I'm going to do it (laughs) anyhow So every time I'm running around with this kid, this is the only time I get any fucking kind of cardio at all because I don't run normally, but I have to with this kid because who knows where she's going. And we're we're bopping around the the soccer field while I'm still trying to watch the game. And uh, she says she wants to go to the little park area where the swings are and the monkey bars and all that stuff. And so we start walking over there. And as we're walking, she's rattling on. She never stops talking. Clearly got that from me. Uh, But we see some twigs that have fallen off a tree on the walkway. And she stops and she says, sticks. I go, yeah, those are sticks. So she bends down and grabs two of them, two sticks, one in each hand. And then she comes over to me and hands me one and says, here you go. Now, I don't know why I need a stick or why she thinks I need a stick, but I take the fucking stick because she offered it. It's my granddaughter. I'm taking the stick. So we both have a stick, and we're going to walk toward the swings, and we take two steps, and she stops, and she says, Grandpa. I said, what? She said, don't poke your eye out. (laughs) And I thought to myself, that was very helpful. God knows what I might have done had she not given me that warning. So we went over and were on the swing set and the monkey bars for a while, went back and went home. But, you know, the funny thing is, is um, I'm old, as you know. Uh, Every time I go do something like that and I spend an hour or two with her and I'm running around with her, I've never been so tired in my life. And it doesn't hit me right away. It doesn't hit me until I'm in the car and I'm going... Fuck, I am tired. And I got plenty of sleep. I just was tired. And I literally have to go home and take a nap. So one of two things have to happen with my granddaughter growing up. I need to get in better fucking shape, which is probably the best course. Or I just have to make plans for naps as quickly as possible after I spend time with her. Anyway, that was my Saturday. It was good. It was cool. I had a great time. And now it's time to get back to business, back to what's going on in this country. And my God, every time I step away from this microphone, some other fucking crazy thing or some other 
important thing happens. And we've got some of that tonight, today, whatever time you're listening to this, now. We're going to start out with an email, and I got this email from Jody. She says, hi, Mike, I hope this email finds you well. And it does. I mean, I still got little hints of that cold I had a while back. I still get a runny nose from time to time and uh, cough a little bit. I'll have to stop and edit from the podcast because I'll be talking too much and then have to cough. And, you know, being a polite guy, I don't leave the cough in the podcast. I go out and take that shit out so you don't have to listen to me hacking into a microphone. You're welcome. Anyway, (laughs) she goes on to say, I thoroughly enjoyed today's podcast with TJ. I'm glad. I thought it was a great podcast, too. It was interesting and thought-provoking. What really made me think is that when TJ asked, why hasn't Flynn or his brother been mentioned uh, in relation to the J6 committee or the DOJ? They were not just in the thick of it, but also were involved with holding back the National Guard. I hope to hear something soon about them, but I know that the DOJ notoriously holds their cards close to their chest. In addition, I was wondering if you think that that smug, arrogant bitch Ginny Thomas or her husband will ever be held accountable for their part in the J-6 insurrection. Her trying to distance him from her activist work is so laughable, except that it's deadly serious. But as we plebeians, I don't know what she means by that, in this country, are so very well aware the rich almost always get away with their reprehensible behavior. Look at the pervert, Matt Gates. I'm beyond sick of these repugnant rich Republicans not being held accountable for their misdeeds and corruption. It's always said that No man is above the law. That's laughable. What they really mean is only we little people, oppressed people, and everyone else who isn't rich, white or Republican. Anyway, that's my thoughts from today's great podcast. As always, I appreciate you and what you do. Have a good day. Well, TJ was right. Jody is right. Um, We haven't heard anything about Mike Flynn's brother, who was in the Pentagon on the January 6th insurrection. He was the main guy holding back the National Guard for three hours. But you have to remember, he was taking his orders from Donald Trump directly. So he couldn't do anything he wanted. He had to wait for the direction from Donald Trump. Now, will he come up in the narrative when it comes to the investigation? Yeah, I think he will. I think a lot of people will come up, and I think this next hearing is going to expose a lot of people. I could be wrong about this, but I doubt it. If there's only this hearing or a couple more hearings, they've got to pull all this together. And the one thing they haven't done as yet is expose the people who were part of planning, strategizing, and funding the this insurrection. They haven't done that yet, probably because... That is the best way to have a big-ass finale in this, what I call, an epic miniseries. Because that's essentially what it is. We've 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 had a month and a half off. The next hearing will come up here any moment now. And I think we're going to start hearing the likes of Ginny Thomas, Roger Stone, sitting members of Congress, 
maybe Mike Flynn and his brother in the Pentagon. They've got to pull this together at some point, and they've got to expose it. All these people were involved, and there's no way the J6 committee is going to let it fly. So what's going to happen is in this next hearing or the hearing after, we're going to see some of these people exposed. And then when the hearings are done, they're going to do a summation, basically a presentation, pulling everything together from all the hearings and all the evidence they have. And that might be the game changer because there will be a lot of evidence and a lot of people exposed for what they did. Don't think that Mike Flynn's brother or Mike Flynn or Jenny Thomas or Roger Stone or these members of Congress are going to get away with this. They aren't, regardless if they're rich and powerful. The Democrats have a bead on all these motherfuckers, and they're going to get exposed. There's no question about it. That's going to happen. And don't get too excited about this Matt Gates thing. Ed and I, were, who, who was talking about this, Ed and I or TJ and I? You know, the thing came out that the DOJ said, we probably won't prosecute Matt Gates because the... Um, the witness, Joel Greenberg, isn't, uh, isn't trustworthy, isn't good enough. But the weird thing about it is we only heard it that one time, never heard it again. We're not even really sure where it came from. I have a feeling it might be a fake leak from the Republicans. Because, I mean, to be perfectly honest, with, with Joel Greenberg, when they started giving him extra time to throw Matt Gates and other people under the bus, uh, they knew exactly who they were dealing with. They knew what he was like. The idea that the DOJ would get into this and give him considerations and less time and then find out, well, he's not a good enough uh, witness. I, I just don't see the DOJ being that stupid. They're just, that, that's not going to happen. If you're thinking Matt Gates has got off free and clear, I don't think that's the case. And secondly, We've got uh, we've got Matt Gates probably tied into the insurrection too, so there might be some indictments coming his way with regards to the insurrection. We just want these motherfuckers out of politics, out of our government, and in fucking jail. That's all I ask for. I mean, Christmas is coming up, so hopefully I'll get my wish. Now we were talking about. Or I was talking about as we were coming into the show about big stories. And this first one is probably one of the bigger stories you're going to hear. Uh, I don't know that it's getting enough play in the media as yet, but it just came out a bit ago. Uh, but I think this is going to have a significant impact on what's happening in this country and what Merrick Garland and the DOJ do. Now, this isn't going to surprise anybody, but now that we've got some possible evidence of it, that paints this thing a whole different color. The National Archives has told the House Oversight Committee that certain presidential records from the Trump administration remain outstanding, meaning Donald Trump still has classified documents. He gave some away, then he lied, they got some more, but even still, there seems to be more missing. Now, the archives is citing information that some White House staff use non-official electronic systems to conduct official business. In a Friday letter to the panel's chairwoman, New York Democrat Carolyn Maloney, 
The National Archives and Records Administration, or NARA, said it had been able to obtain records from a number of former officials and will continue to pursue the return of similar types of presidential records from former officials. But while there's no easy way to establish absolute accountability, we do know that we do not have custody of everything we should. Last month, Maloney requested in a letter that the NARA seek a personal certification from former President Donald Trump that he has turned over all presidential records he illegally removed from the White House. The letter from the archives is the latest development in years-long pursuit from NARA to reclaim all records that belong to the federal government that were created during the Trump administration. Can you imagine if even now, after all this bullshit, Donald Trump still has top-secret documents? I'm thinking Merrick Garland's not going to be feeling really warm and fuzzy about this one. NRA's NARA's back and forth with Trump and his liaisons led earlier this year to the return by former administration officials and lawyers of boxes and envelopes full of records. NARA's findings in one of those collections prompted a Justice Department investigation into the mishandling of classified records and a search in August at Mar-a-Lago, Trump's Florida Beach Club. Now, in its letter, Maloney... The NARA cited a lawsuit filed last summer by the Justice Department asking a judge to order former Trump's White House trade advisor, Pete Navarro. You remember that stupid piece of shit. But Pete Navarro has some documents, too. Now, Pete was trying to game the system. He was saying, well, I'll give them back to you if you give me complete immunity. Sorry, Pete, that's not the way it works. If we have to send stormtroopers into your house and rip them from your trembling hands, we are going to fucking do that. The DOJ says he wrongfully kept these documents after leaving the administration. Now, the DOJ said Navarro used a private mail account for presidential business, such as the need for ventilators, the creation and uh, deployment of the National Guard based on rapid response teams, and the use of hydroxychloroquine to treat COVID, the DOJ DOJ filing said. This is interesting, isn't it? What Peter Navarro is doing is the very thing that... uh, Hillary Clinton was accused of and went through all kinds of questioning and depositions and such. But apparently, as much as they hated what Hillary Clinton did, they don't care if they do it themselves. Now, according to the lawsuit, the National Archives learned of Navarro's private account from the House Committee investigating the government's response to the coronavirus pandemic. It is outrageous that these records remain unaccounted for 20 months after former President Trump left office. Former President Trump and his senior staff have shown an utter disregard for the rule of law and our national security by failing to return presidential records as law requires. In Friday's letter, the NARA referred questions about whether it intends to pursue criminal charges to the Justice Department. Well, of course they are. Now, see, the thing is, it's dangerous to have these documents out bouncing around for anybody to look at. 
it's dangerous. Now, if they'd gotten all the documents back when they were told they got them back, then it wouldn't be quite so urgent. It wouldn't be quite so nerve-wracking. They've got a bunch back, but they don't have all of it back. And as long as those things are out there for public consumption one way or another, that endangers this country, which in turn endangers all of us. After going through all this dicking around, i got to believe Merrick Garland is pissed. The DOJ is pissed. They're tired of being lied to. And maybe this is the one thing that pushes them to speed up their actions. Meaning, Donald Trump has these documents, presumably. It is a danger to this country. There is no reason to sit back and say, let's go through court case after court case after court case, and uh, we'll just wait it out. You can't wait it out. It is a dangerous situation for this country, and maybe, maybe that means that uh, Merrick Garland is just going to slap an indictment on his ass and go into each one of his homes, search them, and grab everything, grab everything that Donald Trump has. I mean, there's got to be a point where they where they get nervous enough about it where they act. Now, I'm not suggesting they're not doing anything. They have a grand jury. They are doing the investigation, meaning the DOJ. But at some point, you got to stop the bleeding. And we haven't stopped the bleeding as yet. Donald Trump still has the documents. The country is still in danger. i got to believe that Merrick Garland is going to react to this thing. He's reacted to all these other things. He's very methodical about it. He's very low-key about it. But he's not fucking around. And he can no longer fuck around with Donald Trump, let him play these fucking games. He's going to have to do something. So we'll see. We'll see what he decides to do. I suspect starting next week or uh, Monday or Tuesday, we are going to hear things from the DOJ. Now that everybody knows the documents are still out there. See, the big difference is if the DOJ was the only group that knew, it might go a little slower. But now because the... um, entire population of this country knows about it by way of the TV news, now he's got some pressure to do something. So it's going to be really interesting to see what his reaction is. Now, reacting to a Department of Justice appeal to the Atlanta-based 11th Circuit Court of Appeals on Friday that seeks to overturn yet another ruling by that dipshit Judge Aileen Cannon. Former Deputy Assistant Attorney General Harry Littman claimed a win for the DOJ would be a huge blow to the Donald Trump appointment jurist. Pushing back at Cannon's decision to allow Trump's lawyers to ignore demands and deadlines set down by Special Master Raymond Deary, the DOJ asked for an expedited ruling. Now, according to Politico, the DOJ insisted the government is unable to examine records that were commingled with materials bearing classification markings, including records that may shed light on, for example, how the materials bearing classification markings were transferred to the plaintiff's residence, how they were stored, and how may have how they may have accessed accessed them. So, Politico's Josh Gerstein and Kyle Cheney added, the filing also hints at prosecutors' irritation with Cannon. 
A Trump appointee confirmed days after his defeat in the 2020 election, the Justice Department noted that she has repeatedly overruled decisions made by the special master she appointed at Trump's suggestion, Senior U.S. District Court Judge Raymond Deary. See, that's the weird thing. They came in here and said, we need a special master, and we want this special master. And surprisingly, they got the special master, and they even got the guy they picked. But I've talked about this before. Just because they picked him doesn't mean they're going to be happy about it ultimately. Because unfortunately for them, Judge Deary is a legitimate judge with experience in national security. He's been on the bench for 40 years. He's not going to have somebody like Donald Trump or even Aileen Cannon affecting what his decisions are. He's going to make those decisions based on the law. How crazy does that sound? So now he's getting pissed. But as I've told you before, Donald Trump and his team will hand it over to the special master. And the moment the special master says something they don't like, now they're going to appeal that person too, which is ironic given it is their choice. So what I understand about... um, this filing that went out to the 11th Circuit is um, that they're ready to do something about this. I mean, when I talk to people about this situation, they'll all say the same thing. Isn't there something we can do with this woman? She's clearly uh, just a a sycophant for Donald Trump. She's doing everything she can to muck up the process in favor of Donald Trump. There's got to be something we can do about it. And apparently there is. According to Littman, after the 11th Circuit already rebuked Cannon, an additional notation in the latest filing could be used to undercut her even further. DOJ appeals Cannon's order on the merits and proposes expedited schedule. Also adds new argument that needs that needs their rest of their 11,000 docs to ascertain what happened to the classified ones. If they win... It's good night, Eileen. <laughs> Not my joke, somebody else's joke. But um, you get the point. So basically what I understand to be is uh, the DOJ is going to the 11th Circuit and saying, look, we need your help with this and this and this. This is perfectly legal. we we got to stop this shit with this Judge Aileen Cannon. And from what I understand, in addition to this filing, they are suggesting that she be taken off the case, thrown off the case, uh, taken out of her jurisdiction. She's obviously not following the law when she's doing what she's doing, benefiting Donald Trump. So they want her off the case. I mean, I I don't really understand how this district court judge can send something to uh, a special master, or even the higher 11th Circuit, and have them respond to it. And then she says, yeah, I don't like that. I'm going to change it more in a favor to Donald Trump. I I don't get that. The higher court should overrule the lower court every time. But apparently she is causing problems, and it's causing problems with the investigation, slowing things down, which is exactly what Donald Trump wanted to do. And apparently this lawyer is willing to carry his water for him. And that's not right. That's not legal. So apparently the DOJ thinks that they have enough evidence to send to the 11th Circuit 
and uh, get her taken off the case. And that's what really needs to be done. The whole special master situation is unnecessary. And I think the special master himself, Raymond Deary, has suggested that. That's why he asked them to provide the proof that documents were planted or they were declassified. Now, they don't want to do that because none of that ever happened. And if they put that in a filing, then they have uh, problems with perjury. So the lawyers are smarter than that. They aren't going to do that. So they're in kind of a tight spot. All Donald Trump is trying to do is delay this whole thing, as he does with everything else. I don't know what he's trying to delay for, though. It really doesn't change much once the midterms hit. Even if Republicans take power, this is already in the system, in the legal system. No member of Congress, no member of the Senate can do anything to stop this. So the midterms don't mean anything. Maybe in Donald Trump's small mind, he somehow thinks, well, if I can just get it to 2024, win the presidential election, I can shut it down. And I guess theoretically, that may be true. But there's no way Donald Trump is going to win in 2024. There's no way he's even going to run in 2024. You know... (laughs) It's, it's funny about Donald Trump. He's such a child. He wants to delay everything. But after delaying all these things and then ultimately getting slapped in the face, you would have to think he knows what's going to happen. But he's like a little kid, you know. You get in trouble. You try to hide things. You know, let's say you spill something on the couch, okay? Only because I did this when I was a kid. Well, let's be honest. I've done it since I've been an adult, and I did the same thing. Uh, for fear of retribution from my wife. So you spill something on the couch and you got to get it clean, but mom is around the house, so you can't be cleaning it now because the first thing they're going to say is, what happened? And now you're caught and now it's stuck. So you try to hide it a little bit. And then when you get some alone time, you try to scrub it off and fix it and do all that kind of stuff. That's what Donald Trump is doing. Now, inevitably, that spot can't be cleaned up. It's permanent. And you know that ultimately... Ultimately, that that thing is going to get turned over. You're go- Mom is going to see it. You're going to get caught, and you're going to have to pay the consequence because you're a child or like me or even like Donald Trump. You just want to do everything you can to put it off as long as possible, even though you know you're going to get caught. You know you're going to get caught, but it's better to put it off. And that's all Donald Trump does because he loses every court case and he puts it off. But ultimately, it comes raining down on him. And this thing with the top secret documents will certainly do that as well. So I'm hoping the 11th Circuit comes back and says, yeah, we see what you're saying about Judge Aileen Cannon. Get her the fuck out of here. Get her off this case. Now, when that happens, should it happen, you can bet Donald Trump is going to be screaming like a stuck pig because it's going to be that much closer to putting that fuck in jail. And he knows that. Uh, But even with Donald Trump, it's not even about what's going to happen in the future because I'm not convinced that he's thinking about that. He doesn't believe anything can go against him in spite of the fact that everything does go against him. I mean, he sees this as a win or a loss. If his judge, his bought-and-paid-for judge, can slow this down 
and they can screw with the special master, he sees it as a win. Where Donald Trump starts falling apart is when he starts losing, and there's nothing he can do to to uh, suggest it didn't happen. It's all a hoax. It's fraud. It's this. It's that. It's the other thing. And he starts losing, and that's when he becomes a bit of a shit stir. He starts screaming and yelling and ranting and raving, and we'll talk more about that in a little bit because uh, we're seeing evidence of that now, and it's not going well for Donald Trump. All right, let's take a quick break, and we will be right back. Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days In, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. All right, over the last several months, we've been hearing a lot of whining coming out of the Supreme Court. It seems they're upset that uh, the population of this country, the taxpayers, the voters, seem to think the Supreme Court is illegitimate. They have some credibility issues. Now, John Robert mentioned this some months back, and just recently, Judge Alito was butthurt and was complaining that we damn people who are questioning the, the, the Supreme Court. We're hurting. We're wrecking the Supreme Court. Really? <laughs> it seems to me that's kind of like a, uh, a man cheats on his wife, and his wife brings it to his attention and admonishes him and wants to divorce him, and there's all kinds of problems because of it. And then the guy comes back and says, the only problem is here that you found out about it, and now you're mad about it. If you just wouldn't be mad about it, we'd be fine. Same kind of thing. Same kind of thing. And it always troubled me when I heard these people say these things. I mean, they're mad at people because the Supreme Court did fucked up shit. When the true answer here is, if you don't want people to question your credibility, don't do fucked up shit. The U.S. Supreme Court is facing a legitimacy crisis after overturning Roe v. Wade, we know this, and increasing ethics scandals involving Justice Clarence Thomas. Yeah, he's a problem, whose wife Jenny testified before the House Select Committee investigating the January 6th attack on the U.S. Capitol. Now, the nine judges have no control over money as Congress does or force as the executive branch does. All they have is their black robes and the public trust. Now, a court that does not keep that trust cannot perform its critical role in America, in government. This comes from the New York Times editorial board wrote on Saturday, and it's absolutely right. If your Supreme Court has no credibility, if you can't trust our Supreme Court, well, we don't really have a fucking Supreme Court. And this bothers the justices because it diminishes their credibility, their power, and their effectiveness as a Supreme Court. And since it's one of the three branches we require in this government, it's kind of fucked up that one of them is absolutely illegitimate. 
The editorial noted the court's uh, falling standing among the public. The actual cause of its historic unpopularity is no secret. Over the past several years, the court has been transformed into a judicial arm of the Republican Party. And that's it. They have six conservatives on the uh, Supreme Court. And at least four of them are either incompetent or highly partisan, which is exactly contradictory to what they should be in the Supreme Court. The project was taking shape more quietly for decades, but it shifted into high gear in 2016 when Justice Antonin Antonin Scalia died and Senate Republicans refused to let Barack Obama choose his successor, obliterating the practice of deferring presidents to fill vacancies on the court. Within four years, the court had a 6-3 to three right-wing supermajority, supercharging the Republican Party appointees' efforts to discard the tradition and process they have allowed the court to appear fair and nonpartisan. As a result, the court's legitimacy has been squandered in the service of partisan victories. Kind of what I said at the top of this thing. The court's new term is going to start Monday. And more shit is going to fly. There are some court cases coming up that people are really worried about. And there's going to be a lot of pressure on the court as well. Now, with a few exceptions, the Supreme Court rarely has been at the forefront of making America a more equal place. But we are not consigned to living under the thumb of a reactionary uh, juristocracy. That's what the editorial board wrote. To the contrary, the meaning of the Constitution is far more than what the court decrees. It is the result of an ongoing conversation between the court and the American people. Imagine that. The American people have some say in this shit. Those who protested the loss of their rights after the Dobbs decision and those who showed their determination to protect those rights, as voters did in Kansas in August, are speaking directly to the court. When the justices stop listening, as they have at other moments in history, the people's voices will eventually become too loud for them to ignore. You know, I've said this before. You know, people always say, what can I do? I'm just one guy. What can I do? Well, you can keep talking, keep complaining, keep protesting, keep the heat on. Now, Sunday evening, CNN is set to air a new Fareed Zakaria special titled Supreme Power Inside the Highest Court in the Land. I don't know if I'm going to watch this. I'm kind of done with CNN at this point. But I'm sure they see um, the necessity for doing something like this. I mean, what goes on in the Supreme Court, I think a lot of people don't really even know. All they know, it's the highest court in the land. Uh, But unfortunately, there is some shit going on in the Supreme Court that is not positive for this country. The Supreme Court of the United States has moved in a direction that has weakened its own legitimacy, Zakaria said. It might be be an occasion to begin a national conversation about what reforms could be put in place to make it less partisan. What he's suggesting there is something I've suggested, you've thought about, maybe suggested. Uh, There needs to be some changes because the way it's going isn't all that great. They want to make it less divisive and more trusted by the vast majority of citizens. Um, 
After all, that is the only way its rulings will be truly accepted in a diverse democracy of more than 330 million people. So what couldn't they do? Uh, I was talking to Ed, and the one thing I was appalled by when all this started with the Supreme Court is when, I've said this before, but when they said, you know, maybe we should have a code of ethics in the Supreme Court. And that just blew me away. You don't already have one? I mean, granted, it's the Supreme Court, but they're fucking people, fallible people, and they're failing at every turn right now. Yes, we should have a code of ethics. Maybe we should have term limits on who's going to be on the Supreme Court. A lifetime a, a, a lifetime appointment has its problems. I mean, if you happen to be in power, whether you be Democrat or Republican, and... Uh, some of these people either retire or die, say three of them in one presidential term or set of terms, uh, that gives an undue um, advantage to that political party. Now, if what we want in our Supreme Court is something bipartisan, why is it then that the Democrats and or Republicans have an opportunity to place who they want in there? If it's supposed to be bipartisan, why does it make a big deal for the Democrats or Republicans have the ability to put their guy in? I mean, that seems contrary to the whole concept of the Supreme Court. Now, they can impeach some of these people that aren't competent. You know, Amy Coney Barrett, um, Brett Kavanaugh, those kinds of folks. They shouldn't even be on the Supreme Court, not to mention Clarence Thomas. He has a whole other set of problems with Ginny Thomas and his being associated with people who want to overthrow the government. Uh, forgive me, but I think if someone is like that, they shouldn't be on the Supreme Court. They shouldn't be in politics in any stretch in this country. But if you can't, well, you you, you can't impeach them it's only been tried once, like 150 years ago or something, and it didn't work. And it's much like impeaching a president. If you can get the impeachment in the House, you better have the majority in the Senate because you're going to need 60 votes to convict them and remove them. And that's why it's so hard to impeach a president and to impeach a Supreme Court justice. So what do you do instead? Well, clearly, the, the best choice right now is to expand the court. We have nine Supreme Court justices because at the time we had nine circuits throughout the country. Well, we have uh, 13 circuits throughout the country, so it's a natural progression to get four more, um, four more uh, Supreme Court justices. And if we had four more, then Joe Biden and uh, his group could put the liberals in there, and it would balance out what's going on in the Supreme Court. For me, if I had the best of all worlds, and if I was going to set the Supreme Court up to be truly bipartisan, I would either make it, uh, you could even keep it as nine. You would have only four conservative judges on on the Supreme Court, and only four liberal judges on the Supreme Court. No matter what you did, it was always that split. And the 
chief justice would have to be completely impartial on both sides. I don't know if that's possible. I mean, the fact of the matter is their personal preferences shouldn't come into play when they're dealing with the rule of law. The laws should be pretty clear, and they should have to follow the laws whether they agree with it or not. See, that's the thing that's troubling. They're mad because we don't think they're legitimate for very good reason. But they somehow believe that in spite of the fact that they're dealing with the rule of law, that their personal opinion can come into play, and it shouldn't. That's what fucks up the Supreme Court. That's why nobody trusts the Supreme Court. So we do have to have some reform with this thing. We maybe have to change the whole Supreme Court situation completely. I don't understand why anybody would get a lifetime appointment. Where does that benefit the United States, especially when they end up being 90 years old and can't find the bathroom, let alone judge uh, an important case? So I'm hoping at some point, Assuming after we have the midterms, there'll be some action they can take on that. First, they've got to codify Roe v. Wade and get some of these bills passed to help the people in this country. But then they have to address the situation with the Supreme Court. These people can cry and whine and shame us all they want. It's our fault because we think badly of them. Well, we think badly of of you because you do bad shit. Stop doing bad shit, and then we won't feel that way. It's quite a mess. There's a lot of arrogance on the Supreme Court. I'm getting fucking tired of it, quite frankly. All right. It's been a week of political whiplash for Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, who in a matter of days has gone from top foil to the Biden White House to a willing partner with the president and his term. Here's the interesting thing about Ron DeSantis. Ron DeSantis was in the House of Representatives when Sandy hit the East Coast. Remember that? It did some devastation. It was really bad, and a lot of people were suffering. So they had to vote as to whether they would give financial relief to the victims of of Sandy. Well, Ron DeSantis, while he was in the House of Representatives, voted against giving them relief, financial relief, or help of any kind. His attitude was, well, it's not our problem. They should stand on their own two feet and do it for themselves. But now, now that it's come through his state and he happens to be governor, well, he's got his hand out and his lips puckered, and now he's buddy-buddy with Biden. And and the problem with this is he has to kind of suck up to Biden because he needs help for his state. But this is going to piss off the Republicans. I mean, Joe Biden is uh, their greatest villain. And if uh, Ron DeSantis has to get on bended knee to get help for his country, which he doesn't, we're going to help the state of Florida, goes without saying. But they're not going to like that. And he's, they're gonna, that's going to make him a little less appetizing come 2024. And he knows he's caught between a rock and a hard place right now. So he's probably a little pissed off at this point. Now, it was September 20th when the White House was on alert for the potential that DeSantis was organizing a flight of migrants from Texas to President Biden's home state of Delaware. His latest move to draw attention 
to the surge of immigrants at the southern border and what he viewed as the responsibility of blue states to share the burden. One week later, DeSantis was on the phone with Biden in the first of three calls the two men have held this week to coordinate the response to Hurricane Ian as the storm knocked out power, flooded communities, and destroyed homes across the state. It would have been interesting to hear that phone call, huh? Kicking Joe Biden's ass for the last two years, and now uh, now he's uh, kissing that ass that he was kiss- kicking. I, You know, Joe Biden's not like this, but I would hope Joe Biden kind of uh, squeezed him there for a little bit. That would have been the... F- the right thing to do. Maybe not the thing that Michelle Obama would have suggested, but uh, you got to kick this guy's ass. The seesawing between antagonist and partner comes as DeSantis tries to juggle building up his bona fides among conservatives should he decide to run for president in 2024, potentially against Biden, and leading his state through what he and others have described as a generational storm. See what I mean? He's caught between a rock and a hard place. He doesn't know what the fuck to do. DeSantis is showing through the process, though the process is ongoing, that he can play both the political culture warrior and the in-charge governor of the entire state. Former Republican National Committee spokesman Doug Hay said, calling DeSantis a Trump with substance. Well, we've said that. He has a little more substance than Donald Trump. He's a little smarter than Donald Trump. But that doesn't make him any less evil, because he is certainly evil. DeSantis has been a thorn in the side of the Biden administration for the last year and a half, eliciting frequent responses from the White House briefing room podium, and at one point last year referring to the Biden administration as the Brandon administration, in a nod to a popular conservative mean mocking the president. Let's go, Brandon. Um, Ron DeSantis thought it was a good idea and thought it was funny to make that Brandon reference. It's funny, now that uh, DeSantis needs help, he needs to look toward, toward uh, um, what, what, what do they call him? Um, he's got the lasers coming in out of his eyes. He wants the tough guy, Brandon. He wants Joe Biden helping him. Dark Brandon is what they called him. He he needs help from Dark Brandon now, and he's kissing some ass. The White House ha- uh, has sparred with DeSantis over the ban on mask mandates in schools, his support for a law that restricts discussions of sexual orientation in the classroom, and most recently, his decision to fly migrants from Texas to Massachusetts. You know, here's another thing I found kind of weird. They were really against mask mandates. The government's making you do something that you may not want to (laughs) do. Still, during the uh, hurricane, wasn't there a mandate? Wasn't there uh, of curfews and evacuations? How is that different than mandating a mask? Well, we're doing it for their safety. Yeah, that's why we're doing it with a mask, too, you motherfuckers. 
Those migrant flights were dominating headlines as recently as last week when DeSantis was arguing the outrage over the flights was disproportionate to the lack of outrage over the millions of migrants who crossed the border illegally since Biden took office. Well, see, that's a flat-out lie. It's no worse than it was when Donald Trump was in office. That's all they've got, though. They don't have a lot to fight against Joe Biden with, so they always go to the brown people over the border card. When DeSantis was reportedly lining up a flight to take another group of migrants from Texas to Delaware, Delaware, where Biden regularly spends the weekends, the president responded sarcastically. He should come visit. We have a beautiful shoreline, Biden said. But much has changed in just over a week as both men have warned that Hurricane Ian, which made landfall Wednesday as a Category 4 storm, poses a grave threat to the residents of much of Florida and could be the deadliest storm in years. Biden and DeSantis have spoken on the phone three times this week with the governor praising the assistance of federal partners in getting resources on the ground to aid those without power and shelter. The quick transition from foil to friendly is the latest in what some have seen as shifts in position from DeSantis in recent years. DeSantis' 2013 opposition to federal funding for New York in the wake of Hurricane Sandy has come under scrutiny as he presses for federal assistance in Florida. There's something else I heard. Um, When the vote came up to send aid to Florida, Rick Scott, a Republican senator, voted against it. He voted against sending funds and relief to his own home state, to his own constituents, for Christ's sake. What what is he thinking? Are they just trying to give up this uh, this election? He's pissing off and 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 uh, and taking money, or at least trying to take the money out of the hands of his own people. Now, of course, it passed, but I understand there might have been as many as thirteen, fourteen, maybe fifteen um, Republican representatives in the House that voted against it that all have ties to fucking Florida. I I don't understand the process. I I mean, this goes back to what we've said before. They are wrong, and then they refuse to admit they're wrong, so they just keep doubling down. But if I live in Florida and my representative says, no, we don't need help from the federal government, I'm getting rid of that motherfucker ASAP because he's certainly not working for us. He's working for something that he thinks will help him. Now, CNN published a story this week that noted DeSantis was urging Floridians to heed the warnings and instructions of some of the same local officials who guide, whose guidance he said to ignore regarding the coronavirus pandemic. See, that's... That's that's the contradiction here. We now want you to pay attention and heed their warnings. But back when it was masks and shutdowns and that stuff, that's bullshit. Just ignore it. That just exposes Ron DeSantis for the uh, the the stupid son of a bitch he is. You can't have it both ways. 
either these government entities, these federal programs and uh, departments that are trying to help people stay alive, either they're good or they're bad. But apparently Ron DeSantis wants to have it both ways. Yeah, he's uh, he has no choice but to do what he's doing. But he also has some Republicans out there, clearly in Congress, that disagree with him. And it may cost him some credibility, not only in 2024, but he's running for re-election against Charlie Crist in November. So it'll be interesting to see how the Republicans perceive him now that he's kind of teaming up with Biden to help his state. Now, I did a TikTok, and I basically tried to make this comparison. Have you ever had a kid, a little kid, that was so mad that they didn't know what to do with themselves? They were flailing, and they were throwing a tantrum, and they were pitching a fit. They're screaming and yelling, and there's nothing you could really do. They were just upset. Well, that's kind of what Donald Trump is doing currently. He sees what's over his head, what's coming in from the sides, and he sees no way out, and he's a narcissist, and he's finding that his normal strategies, his bullying, and everything that he normally does doesn't work. So then he gets to be, he ends up being that little kid that's flailing and throwing a tantrum and pitching a fit and doing all this shit. And that's exactly what he's doing. And he's taking it out on Mitch McConnell, for God's sake. Now, Mitch McConnell and Joe Biden, they served together in the United States Senate for decades, literally decades. They know each other. While the men disagree politically, they also have respect for one another, and this mutual respect makes it possible for the two men to sometimes, sometimes make deals. Biden and McConnell recently agreed on a package that included funding for Ukraine and domestic disaster relief. The deal enraged Donald Trump, the child, who took to the true social platform, which is probably going to fold up and die anytime soon, to slam McConnell and slur McConnell's wife, Elaine Chow. Now, Trump began his rant like this. Is McConnell approving all these trillions of dollars worth of Democrat-sponsored bills without even the slightest bit of negotiation because he hates Donald J. Trump and he knows I'm strongly opposed to them? Or is he doing it because he believes the fake and highly destructive Green New Deal and is willing to take the country down with him? You notice what Donald Trump said there. It's all about Donald Trump. How dare he do this when he knows I'm against it? Well, let me tell you something, Donald. You're not president anymore. You have zero power. In fact, you have less than zero power. And Mitch McConnell is a far smarter man than you are. He's just as evil, but he's smarter. To think that everybody should get on bended knee for a private citizen who used to be a president is a little fucking presumptuous, don't you think? So the former president continued, in any event, either reason is unacceptable. Then he says, he has a death wish must immediately seek help and advice from his China-loving wife, Coco Chow. Now, his wife 
much to our chagrin, had served in the Trump administration as the Secretary of Transportation. She resigned after the January 6th insurrection because she was appalled. And let's be honest, um, Mitch McConnell's wife is a bit of a criminal, too, and maybe a problem in this country. But he says he has a death wish. What, what did he mean by that? Well, I'll tell you what he meant. This is just another code word for Donald Trump. When he said Mitch McConnell must have a death wish, what he was essentially saying is to his Trumplifux, look, we don't like this guy anymore, so do your stuff. We know everybody that goes against Donald Trump gets death threats, gets harassed, gets stalked, gets all kinds of things. So he basically put his Trumplifux on um, Mitch McConnell and just just to add to the little concoction there, he decided to throw some racist shit out about his wife. This is what I mean. This guy is in desperation mode. He's been able to bully his way through for decades, and now none of it's working. So he's going to start saying crazy shit, hoping to whip up the crowd. Unfortunately, his crowd is starting to diminish And his crowd is too smart to try to go head-to-head with what the government will mount against them should they try. Donald Trump is desperate at this point, and there is no way for him to get out of it. He is going to get crushed. He is going to crash and burn. I promise you this is going to happen. Now, of course, with all these legal problems, Donald Trump has has some attorneys. He has Christopher Keis, who was actually a legitimate, powerful attorney. He was paid $3 million ahead of time because he knows Donald Trump doesn't pay his lawyers. And he was supposed to be there to uh, handle Trump's case against the FBI investigating uh, the documents he stole and stored at Mar-a-Lago. The veteran litigator argued that Trump should adopt a new strategy. Makes some sense, since nothing Donald Trump has done as of late fucking even remotely works. Kais said, turn down the temperature with the Department of Justice. Kais, a former Florida solicitor general, counseled his famously combative client, people familiar with the deliberations. Now, federal authorities had searched Trump's home because they badly wanted to retrieve the classified documents that remained there after federal subpoena, and uh, apparently he still got more. Now, Keis argued, according to these people, with, with that material back in government hands, maybe prosecutors could be persuaded to resolve the whole issue quietly. But quiet has never been Trump's style, nor the harmony within his orbit. We know the search that happened we may never have found out about without Donald Trump screaming on his platform that he just got raided. Instead, just a few weeks after Keis was brought on board, the one lawyer that was really legitimate, I mean, he's got a uh, a real estate lawyer, some lawyer that was on TV, they're just not very bright people and not very competent. 
But a few weeks after he brought Keis on board, he finds himself in a battle trying to persuade Trump to go along with his legal strategy and fighting with some other advisors who have counseled a more aggressive posture. The, the, despite, the dispute has raged for at least a week. Trump advisors say the former president listening as various lawyers make their best arguments. See, the, the fatal flaw with Keis is Keis knows the situation. He knows it's not going to be a clear, clean win for Donald Trump, so he's just trying to soften the blow a little bit because that's what a lawyer does. But Donald Trump's not having it. Not only doesn't he pay lawyers, he doesn't listen to lawyers. All he does is tell lawyers what they should be doing and expect them to accomplish it, even though it has no basis in law that the evidence would suggest otherwise. And apparently, Keis was not willing to do that, so they put him on the sidelines. A Wednesday night court filing from Trump's team was combative with defense lawyers questioning the Justice Department's truthfulness and motives. Keis, whose name was listed alongside other lawyers in previous filings over the past four weeks, did not sign that one, an absence that underscored the division among the lawyers. Apparently, the lawyers aren't agreeing. Well, they should listen to Keis because he is actually a skilled lawyer. The other fucks, uh, you know, are ambulance chasers at best. The thing is, he remains part of the team and will continue assisting Trump in dealing with some of his other legal problems, said the people familiar with the conversation, who, like others interviewed for this article, spoke on the condition of anonymity, that nobody's going to give their name out to reveal private talks. But on the Mar-a-Lago issue, he is likely to have a less public role. So your best lawyer isn't going to be involved with one of your most important issues, largely due to the fact that he's unwilling to bend to Donald Trump's stupid ideas. And that is a mistake for Donald Trump. I think I told you one time, I think the one thing that's most important somebody can grasp if they truly want to be successful in this world is to understand, believe, acknowledge that you can be wrong. And when you realize you're wrong, that you adjust and and do it right the next time. But instead, somebody like Donald Trump, all he does is, I couldn't be wrong. And we're just going to keep charging ahead with all this wrong-minded shit. And, of course, the only place it can go from that point is down the shitter, crash and burn. But it's more important for Donald Trump to be right. It's more important for Donald Trump to be in control and uh, as opposed to doing the right thing or the most ex- expeditious thing for his case. Now, for decades, when he was just a businessman, he got away with that kind of behavior. But it's not going to work with the government. It's a bigger playing field. The government is bigger than Donald Trump, and Donald Trump is going to get fucking crushed. There's no, there's no question about it. So Keis is on the sidelines. Donald Trump is handing it off to his uh, rental lawyers and uh, he thinks he's going to win with that as long as they do exactly what he tells them. You see, the problem with being a lawyer for Donald Trump is, is threefold. He doesn't pay you. He forces you to say things that you know better than say because it's not legally sound. And lastly, he's likely to lie to you. 
Now, whether you're stupid enough to believe the lies or not, that's another story. But we know the situation uh, after the National Archives got the first 15 boxes and realized that there were still some missing, um, and they did this search. They grabbed up another 20 boxes. Oh, no, I'm sorry. After the first grab of the documents, the first 15 boxes, uh, Christine Bob and some other lawyer wrote up a document saying, swearing in an affidavit, that there was no more top-secret documents. Well, of course, after the, uh, after the search, they found there was more documents. So one of two things happened with these lawyers. They flat-out lied, or Donald Trump lied to them. Either way, they're going to have a problem. It would be better if Donald Trump directed them to do it, and they didn't know. I'm sure that's what they're going to say now. That's, that's their only way to cover their asses on this sort of thing. But if you're a lawyer and you deal with Donald Trump, you have to know he lies. You have to question what he tells you. You should investigate it to see if it's true instead of just taking his word for, for granted and, and using it as if he couldn't be a liar. If Donald Trump is anything, he is a pathological liar. Everything that comes out of his mouth is a lie. And if you're a smart lawyer, you would know that and you would protect yourself. But apparently, he has some lawyers that are incapable of doing such a thing. So, we're going to see how that all shakes out, but it's not going to go well for Donald Trump. Uh, We're going to wrap things up for the Rational Boomer podcast. I want to thank you for spending the time you do with me. I hope you have a great day and we'll talk to you again tomorrow. Thanks for listening to the Rational Boomer podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. We'll see you next time.